Hello and welcome to the Low Tech Lecture Series. The following is an unedited lecture of a topic tangential to the Low Technology Institute. The ideas expressed are those of the speaker. We hope you find it informative and entertaining. As it is unedited, audio quality varies. Stay tuned after the lecture for information about the Low Technology Institute and its other offerings, or find us at lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. Thanks and enjoy. So welcome. Hi, I'm Scott. Um, I run the Low Technology Institute, and I've been keeping bees for, I mean, not that long in terms of beekeeping, five years or so. Uh, but I kind of jumped in with both feet, which is what happens. Um, and does anyone out here already keep bees? Just out of curiosity, a little bit. Just one hive. Awesome. How long have you had them? Oh, you took them over. Excellent. Okay. Well, welcome to the. World of beekeeping. That's fun being thrown into it, maybe, I hope. Um, so today, I'm going to talk through a few different things, uh, but the main goal is if you have a garden and you like bees, it makes sense to have bees in your garden, or at least uh, if you have uh, any interest in honey. There's a million reasons to have bees. We're focusing a little bit on the gardening because it's the Garden Expo. Um, so we're going to cover three different things. Does this have a light? Yeah. We're going to talk about the honeybee life cycle. Um, if you understand how bees live and reproduce, uh, it makes managing them a lot easier. Um, you can do it with less understanding, but it's the obvious best place to start. Then we're going to talk about uh, beginning beekeeping, what you would need to think about in terms of like practical stuff. Hives, getting bees, first steps, uh, things you should think about. Uh, we can talk about costs. Uh, opa, okay. Uh, we can talk about, uh, you know, uh, are you going to get honey your first year? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and then we're going to talk about specific considerations for gardeners. So if you have a garden and you want to pollinate uh, your own garden, then you have to put your hive in a special location because if if you guys were my garden, the bees from this hive would not pollinate you. And I'll tell you why later. Um, if you can't hear me, let me know. How would you hear that? Okay. Um, if you have questions, raise your hand. I might not hear you if you call it out, so you know, wave or something. Anytime, stop me if you want me to go into more detail or less detail. <laughs> Move on. That's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's get going. So honeybee life cycle, there's a couple different types of bees. We'll talk about first the worker bee. Um, so in a beehive, right, we have combs. We've all seen honeycombs, I'm sure, on nature documentaries, maybe in your own hives or in um, someone else's hives, right? But there are these hexagonal little wax spaces where the queen will go and lay an egg. She's got hundreds of thousands of eggs in her abdomen. They come ripe. She drops them in. They're about the size of a comma in newsprint. So they're pretty small. Um, in a couple of days, they develop into larvae. And then over, depending on the type of bee, 18 to 21 days, they become a full adult bee. Um, after 10 days, they're capped. And then they continue their occupation and become adult bees, uh, and they pop out. And then it's a worker bee. It's just a plain female worker bee um, that will do all the different jobs we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and if you get stung by a bee, it's a female bee, it's a worker bee, a field bee. Um, the, the male bees 
can't sting you. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I found this really cute uh, cartoon way of showing it also, because why Why do the old, you know, kind of sad textbook when you can do these really cute uh, ways which show the, the nurse bees barfing into the, uh, it's a technical term, barfing, uh, into the cell. Uh, but that's actually what they do. They regurgitate honey and uh, other substances for the uh, larvae to eat. The queen gets something different. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and then it bursts free. We did it. <laughs> we had a 10-month-old baby at home. So we had a baby 10 months ago, so that's about, you know, that's about right. If you're interested in more of these illustrations, uh, it's from this book, Turn This Book Into a Beehive. A lot of great illustrations in there. Just throwing it out there. So we have a worker bee. It's emerged from the cell. What happens? It, uh, in the first couple days, it cleans up its room. What a good kid, right? Like, firstborn cleans up its room. It takes a couple of days, cleans up its cell and a couple of cells around it um, to make sure that it is clean for the um, for the queen to come lay more eggs. If the queen comes to a cell, she inspects it first. So you'll see her like walk up to a cell and she'll look in it and then she puts her butt in it, lays the egg and walks to the next cell. So she really inspects them and if they don't clean it, they won't uh, lay a new egg in it. So she cleans out her apartment for her next sister. The next couple of days, she spends going and getting pollen, and pollen's really high in protein, uh, and nectar, and other things, and feeding it to larvae. So she feeds uh, her you know, stepsisters who are just coming right after her. So it'd be like having your 10-year-old watch your you know, three-year-old sort of at home. Then from day 34 to 39, and these are approximate, things can change depending on the hive. They can um, emit pheromones and kind of communicate, hey, we need to push one thing or the other, so they can kind of change. These days are not hard and fast. Um, but between days 34 and 39, they secrete wax underneath their abdomen. And you can actually see them. They're these little, it looks like a, it's like earwax. Like they're just secreting it for these days. They scrape it off their abdomen and they build the honeycombs out of it. Um, also, uh, we'll talk about it again in a minute about swarming. But also during swarming, adult bees will continue to secrete this to build a new hive. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And then only after day 40. So any bee you see out of, out of the hive is an old bee. And the reason is, if they all went out as soon as they were born, they die outside the hive a lot. There's birds, there's rain, there's uh, uh, birds, I say birds, insects, other things that eat them. Uh, there's a lot of dangerous things in the outside world for them. So if you had your young ones go out, they would all die and uh, you'd have no later bees. So that's why you wait until the end of your life to become a forager. Um, a nurse bee, so these are more of these cute illustrations. So the nurse bee takes care of the young eggs. There's the undertaker bee, which is pretty cool, like right now in the winter, uh, right in front of the hive on the ground. So my hives are kind of like, like that. Right on the ground in the snow is a pile of dead bees. Because these mortuary bees, as the bees die over the winter, which is totally normal, uh, not all of them, some of them, uh, they'll drag them out and just like drop them off this precipice. And there's just a big pile of dead bees. I put it by my chickens, and then my chickens eat the dead bees. Win win for everybody. Um, fanning bees uh, help regulate the test. They like uh, 94 degrees. They like it hot. And so uh, if it's too hot, if it's in the sun in the summer, it can get over 94 because they generate, you know, it's like having a light bulb in a box. They're generating heat. So they want to have an air conditioning system. They have bees on the front, and they'll just blow, fan, cool air into the hive. And you can actually stand above it, and the hot air will rise up and vent out, and it just smells amazing because it's honey and wax. It's 
one of my favorite smells. Uh, if you want to smell that, you can come up and have a sniff of these, at, not right afterwards. Um, Court bees, there's a couple of bees that stay right around the queen, which makes it easier to spot the queen, and that's one of the hardest things for a beginning beekeeper is spotting the queen. Don't be discouraged. It takes a long time to get good at spotting the queen. I'm not perfect at it, um, but there will be a ring of worker bees around the queen, and they'll all be kind of pointing at her, and she'll be in the middle, and they'll be touching her and making sure she's calm and happy and fed. And then at the end of their lives, they become forager bees, or guard bees. Guard bees will sit at the front and they'll attack wasps or your finger or your dog <laughs> if they come. My dog, when I first got bees, was so excited because she would sit like right over here. She'd just sit and watch the bees come in and out. She sat there for like an hour and then she came inside. And then the next day in the morning, they're not flying when it was dewy and below 55 degrees. So my dog runs out and she's like, oh, no bees. So she goes puts her head right in the thing and ooh, got stung and uh, she didn't like the bees after that she left them alone which is fine because she's a dog um, oops I missed a slide I forgot to mention the queen oops sorry about that yeah sorry I hope we don't induce anyone's nausea here. Um, so a queen is a slightly different life. A queen is just a cell, uh, just a, an egg like any other worker bee, which is an important fact if you're trying to raise your own queen. You don't need special eggs or anything like that. It's a, it's a worker cell. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but basically what happens is the first couple of days, um, all bees are fed, fed what's called royal jelly. If you see, sometimes you'll see it in health food stores, royal jelly. Um, a worker bee gets it for like three days, and then she gets nectar and pollen. A queen gets royal jelly the whole time. That's why it's called royal jelly. And that uh, the hormones in that will induce this otherwise normal uh, egg to become a queen. So a queen is just a female with an elongated abdomen and a complete reproductive system. Um, and so she will, she raises, she, uh, she gestates for a shorter time, and then she'll fly out uh, once she's emerged from her uh, cell, and I'll show you a queen cell later. She, she'll emerge and she'll fly out to what's called a drone congregation area. Um, it's really cool. We don't know how they do it, but bees know where the neighborhood uh, hookup spot is, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like, just, just like teenagers know you go up on like a high bluff overlooking the town in your car and you make out whatever. Mm, okay? That's what, that's what bees do, and we don't know how they know where to go. But um, in the afternoon, 2, 3 o'clock, all the drones, all the male bees will fly out of the hive, and they'll fly off to this drone congregation area. There's all these guys hanging around. They just kind of mill around. And then a queen will fly by. And it's like a comet with the queen. And then all these drones who have, um, they look like football helmets because their eyes wrap all the way around their heads so they can see the queen. And it's this queen and it's just a swarm of drones after her. And they'll, uh, I'm not going to demonstrate. Uh, they, they catch her and they basically sting her. Uh, but instead of a stinger with venom, it's their reproductive organ, um, and they and inject the sperm into her, which she will then uh, maintain for the rest of her life. She keeps the sperm uh, viable, and uh, in inside of her reproductive system, she will fertilize eggs daily uh, with that sperm for the rest of her life. And she'll mate with ooh, 10 to 20, 30 drones uh, to store up enough for her entire life. Um, and then the drones are dead, of course. 
Uh, and that's why a drone can't sting you. A drone bee is completely safe. Uh, it'll never sting you. It doesn't have a stinger. Um, and then the queen heads back to the hive and begins laying eggs. So, let's go back. There we go. Back to Back three. Okay. So, that's the individual bee. And um, a lot of times, beginning beekeepers get really worried about killing a single bee. And obviously, we try not to kill bees when we're going in here. But think about working with bees as kind of working with a multicellular organism whose cells aren't connected. Right? So, think of the whole colony as an individual animal. Because sometimes that helps you kind of get into their mentality a little better. Uh, they're a collective unit. They're not individuals. And so, you know, when I go in here and I accidentally squish one bee, it's like going to the doctor and they draw a little blood. Or take a skin swab or something like that. It's not the worst thing. Um, and if you think about it from a macro-organism or a, as a single unit, again, it makes everything a lot easier. So bees don't reproduce on the individual level, although there are babies, you know, baby bees being born all the time, as we saw. Really what happens is the entire hive will split into two hives. And this is known as uh, swarming. And what happens is uh, there's a couple different ways the cycle can go out. We're going to go over the basic one. So inside the cell, or inside the hive, you might have a perfectly fine queen, but they run out of space. Or um, there are some other physiological things that tell them, hey, we should split up, we should swarm, we're a strong hive, we should make two strong hives. So what happens is, the queen will lay in these peanut-looking things, those are queen cells, because the queen is significantly longer, she needs a bigger apartment to adjust to pupate in. And so this queen will grow in here um, and emerge. But before she does, or right after she does, or timing can change, uh, the old queen will run around the hive. Well, let me say this again. She doesn't choose to run around the hive. The rest of the hive chooses for the queen. The queen isn't in charge. The queen is kind of like a... I don't want to say like enslaved to the hive because they all kind of the human terms don't work right but the, the queen uh, it has been chased around the hive for a couple of days she, they don't feed her and they make her run around and she loses moisture and she gets light and then she can fly again because when she's uh, laying eggs she's too heavy to fly and so they run around the hive until she gets light and then half of the hive takes off with her and they fly off into the blue yonder after she's laid some eggs for new queens. This is where the mother queen departs with the workforce, about half of it. And so if you've ever seen, has anyone seen a swarm of bees hanging out on a tree? Something like that? Um, if you do, that's you know, $200 worth of bees just sitting there for you. Uh, and if, you get, um, if you're interested in bees and you want to be a little bit more on a budget, you can try and catch a swarm, especially if you're retired and you uh, can go places during the middle of the workday and pick these up. Great, great thing to do. Um, you should think about joining, um, it's called Mad Bees, Madison, uh, Madison Area Beekeepers Association. Um, and they have a list serve, and they say they get calls for swarms all the time, and you can go go pick up free bees, which is great. Half the time you get called out as yellow jackets. But um, anyway, bees in this state are docile. If you've ever seen the bee beards online, it's it's, it's in this form. Um, they'll put the queen on them, and then they all just hang out there. They just kind of hang out. They don't have anything to protect, so they're not really aggressive. You only get stung if you really bother them. So what's happening right now, at this time, is actually really complex. 
they're hanging out, bivouacs uh, on whatever thing they've decided to hang out on. And then what they do is they send out foragers. And these foragers are scouts. They find different, each one of these letters represents a different possible new house for them, a new nest. And the foragers come back and they tell their other bees. And the thickness of these lines tells you how many of the other bees are agreeing with them. And there's a complex waggle dance that we don't have time to get into. But suffice it to say, they, they advocate. They say, I found a great nest site. It's this far away. It's got these things. Other bees go check it out. They come back and they say, yeah, it's a great site. And collectively, they make a decision. We've found a new home. And then everybody communicates where that new home is. And then they take off. And they go to that new home. This whole process is uh, outlined in a book called Honeybee Democracy. If you want to kind of get into the mind of bees, Honeybee Democracy is a really great one. Anything by Thomas Seeley is, is really great. Um, and so I found this while I was searching for images, which this is exactly what, the, well, not, okay, not exactly, uh, but this is essentially what they do. They find their new nest site, and it's like a tornado of bees going inside, like into a new hive. And this is a box. You can actually build, it's called a swarm trap. We know what bees like. We know the size, the shape, the dimensions, the height off the ground, the smells that bees like to have. So you can build a trap. And uh, those scouts will find it and they'll say, oh, I found the perfect place. And they'll go right there. So if you want to get bees on the cheap, especially if you're in Madison, there's a lot of beekeepers. And if they're not paying attention, their hives will accidentally swarm. As a beekeeper, you want to not let them swarm because you lose half your bees. You can use, I'll talk about this later, uh, <laughs> you can actually use swarming and have two hives for free. You can catch them right before they swarm and put them in a new hive and they say, oh, oh, we must have swarmed while I wasn't paying attention. We'll stay here so you can get two bees, do two hives for the price of one. And then the whole thing starts over again. So the whole hive reproduces itself. And that's what they're all about. Um, they're not into honey. I mean, they, they love honey, but honey is just a means for them to live through the winter, to be really strong, really um, uh, really big population, strong, uh, healthy bees, so that in the spring they can do the split as soon as possible and as many times as possible to you know, spread their genes out, spread themselves out as much as possible like any other biological organism. We just take the extra honey because we... Awesome. Great. So, that concludes a kind of more dry biological lecture. Now I'll talk a little bit more generally about practical considerations if you're interested in starting bees. The first thing is you have to evaluate, do you have a location that is a good spot for bees? Um, the answer is probably yes. Uh, as long as you know you check with your local jurisdiction, most jurisdictions allow bees. Even if they, I didn't say this. Even if your jurisdiction does not allow bees, a lot of people have bees in jurisdictions that do not allow them. I would never recommend you do that, but I'm just saying people do it. Um, so aside from the human constraints on beekeeping, which is you have to figure out yourself. As long as you own your property or your landlord's fine with it, whatever, the site you want usually is south-facing, um, maybe sheltered from rain, doesn't have to be at all, uh, but south-facing because the bees hang out in their hive all night and they wait for the sunlight to hit this entryway. As soon as the sunlight hits this entryway, poof, they're gone for the day and they're busy 
as busy bees, right? Uh, all day. So if I have this facing north, it's going to significantly, or the shadows, it's going to significantly reduce the amount of time that they're foraging all day, which significantly reduces their, you know, foraging ability, their their strength, everything. So good sunlit southern location. Um, maybe something that has a wind block on the north side to block the northern wind right now. That'd be great. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but yeah, south facing. They can be out in the open. Some people put them under overhangs. Uh, that helps, but it's not necessary. Um, basic equipment. Basic equipment. Um, this is a Langstroth hive. A Langstroth hive was invented by a French cleric in the 1800s. This is actually based on um, champagne boxes, because that's what he had, because France, right? So. Uh, <laughs> This is what most American beekeepers use. You'll see other types of hives. I don't have time to get into all of them, but essentially they all do the same thing. They are a wooden box that um, allows bees to build their honeycombs in an orderly fashion. That's all it is. They're all about the same volume and size. Um, so this is just one box. This is called a deep. It's about nine and a, I forget the exact fraction, uh, just over nine inches deep. And this is where you keep your brood nest. This is where they're laying new brood. Um, and usually what you do is you get another box and you put it on top. And then this is their brood nest. And they'll build up through the summer. And then you reverse it and they keep building up. And then on top of that, you put smaller boxes. I didn't bring them just because I have a finite amount of lifting capacity with my arms and stuff I brought, but uh, they're, they're shorter. And these are honey supers. And basically what happens is the bees like to put the honey on top and their brood nest on the bottom for the winter because they eat their way up through the winter. And so by putting these boxes, expanding the, the size of the hive upwards, they store all this honey up there and then you can take it and uh, leave them enough, of course, for themselves, but you take the extra as rent or whatever you want to call it. So if you're starting out, what you're looking for is two deeps and how, however, uh, however many supers you want. Uh, probably I started out with two. That's plenty. You may or may not get honey your first year. We can talk about that. Um, so in terms of boxes, you need two deeps at a minimum, probably two deeps, two supers. Um, it never hurts if you have the financial or woodworking ability to make some extra. It's really nice because... You don't want to be uh, opening up your beehive for an inspection and you see, oh, it's just packed with bees and they have swarm cells. They're ready to split. You're going to lose bees. What are you going to do? You have to go and make or buy more equipment and then quickly do it. It becomes an emergency, sort of, not an emergency, but it becomes a stressful situation. So it's good to have extra on hand if you can swing it. Um, this sits on top of what's called a bottom board. There's different configurations, but the main thing is... I don't know if you can see this, but it slopes. Right? There's a slope built into that, so any water that gets in here will run out. Um, so that bottom board sits on a sturdy uh, base because these hives, each one of these, if full of honey, will weigh 100 pounds. So you have two of those possibly full of honey, and then super, so you could have three, four, five hundred pounds on top of this stuff. So don't, if you're making it yourself, follow plans that are online, especially the first cup. It's fun to experiment, but the first time you build things, follow the plans, and then, you know, the next one you build, build experiments, sure. Um, but they're built sturdily for a reason. They have to hold a lot of weight, and you don't want to lift this up and then have your joint come apart because you did a butt joint instead of a finger joint. 
for the woodworkers out there, right? You don't want it to like fall apart with full of bees and 100 pounds of honey. <laughs> Not super fun. <laughs> I've been there. Um, not because the box fell apart. I was taking apart a house that had a beehive in it, and it like fell on me, and I was just covered in honey, and the bees were eating the honey. It was not fun. Anyway, um, on top goes what's called an inner cover. This inner cover um, basically keeps the bees inside here, and it's got a small hole not only for a handhold, but you can get uh, mason jars or other feeders, because if uh, they're a little low on honey, you might want to spend 20 bucks on sugar and make sugar water to feed them um, over the winter rather than losing a $200 hive of bees. Um, so then you could put your mason jar and then an empty box and then the lid on top of that. Or normally in the summer, you just do this. This is the outer cover. This is weather tight. That sheds the rain. Most people should, or most people do and should, put a ratchet strap or something, a cinder block on top. Because if you get a good gust of wind, which is that lip, it can blow it off. It's nothing worse than coming out after a big blowing storm that we get all summer. And you find your beehive tipped over and bees unhappy are gone or dead. So um, ratchet strap it right to the, right to the, uh, uh, right to your, sorry, I'm just checking, it's not even exactly well. Everything stays secure. Other equipment. Um, essential is a beehive tool or a hive tool. It's uh, kind of beveled and sharp. I like the ones with the J hooks, but there's different ones basically. Bees uh, create a kind of resinous glue called propolis. You might see it in health food stores, but it's basically uh, essentially pine resin that they chew and turn into a glue and they glue all this stuff down. And so, you know, it's easy to pull it out now because I've worked with these the last couple days, but um, when there's active bees in here, they will glue it all down, and you're wearing gloves, so you're trying to like pick these things up, you can't do it. So this little end will catch in here, and helps you lever them out. Um, this end helps you, I'll do it the box. Makes a mess. Ugh. This end is for cleaning this burr comb off, like that, just to, Give them less. Sorry, I'll clean it up afterwards. Promise. Uh, gives them less to attach to. It keeps things clean and easier for you to get in and out. Also, on the top, you can scrape it all off. So, essential smoker. Um, now, there's a lot of people that can work their bees without smoke, and I can too. Depending on the time of year, it really depends. Pick up a smoker. Um, even if you plan to not use it, um, you can also use a, a spritzer bottle with half uh, sugar, half water, because the bees get so excited about the sugar that they're eating all the sugar and licking the sugar off of anything you spray that they don't notice you. It works pretty well. So I prefer sugar usually. Um, but in the fall, when they're protecting all their honey, they get really aggressive because that's when the wasps are really trying to get in there and attack them. Uh, so they get really uh, touchy. So that's when I use smoke. Um, smoke masks the alarm pheromones in the hive. It also, at least according to uh, traditional wisdom, makes them think that there's a forest fire. And they might have to abscond and leave their hive. So they go and gorge themselves on honey and they fill up their tank, their stomach basically, uh, with honey and then they can't sting you because they're too fat. It's like, a, it's like trying to do a whole bunch of uh, sit-ups right after uh, Thanksgiving dinner, essentially. Uh, so you're safe. Uh, so yeah, these two are essential. 
a high brush doesn't hurt. Uh, a veil and equipment, even if you don't, if you want to get to the point where you can work your bees without wearing a, a protective equipment, that's a nice goal to have. But you don't have to, uh, and you should always have a veil because you never know. You might have a real angry set of bees. Um, it just happens. Sometimes the queen puts out just nasty pheromones and they're all angry. And then you kill the queen and put in a new queen and they're immediately docile. It's a crazy thing that they have going on with their pheromones. So, um, all right. So how do you get bees? You can get them from a swarm. That's the cheapest and most, I, I think, a great way to get them because you know you're getting a beehive that's strong enough to split. That's great. Um, you can also order them in the mail. They come in a box, a three-pound box of bees. It's literally a wooden frame with uh, screens straight stapled to it, full of bees. Um, when you get those, um, it'll have a queen in a little cage, and it'll have a jar of sugar water. And all you do is you take the box. Sorry. There we go. Uh, you take the box, you take a couple frames out of your hive, and you put the hole over there, and you knock it. You just... Spray with sugar water, and they're licking the sugar water, and you just shake them. They almost act like a liquid. They just pour out, and they'll fill the hive. And then you set this in, and it will rest on top of the bees. And as the bees disperse, it'll slowly drop in. Um, the queen will be in a cage. You put the cage between. Check YouTube for specific videos. I don't have time to get into every aspect. Um, so that would be a package. I recommend, if you can find them locally, get a nuke. A nuke, N-U-C, is short for nucleus colony. Essentially, it is a mini beehive. So inside of here, I've got four frames, right? And so what the beekeeper who's selling this will do is they will do a split. They will take out some, they'll do an artificial swarm, essentially. They'll take it out, they'll put it in here, they'll make sure that the queen's there and is laying, and it's a fully functioning hive, but it's pretty small. Right? It's not going to take a long time for them to fill this space up. So what you do is, you get your nuke, you bring it home, you put it on top of where it's going to be, on top of the boxes, you open up the, the door, and you give them a day. Because they'll reacclimatize um, and reacclimate to where they are. They have something, I like to call it BPS, B positioning system. What they do is they come out, and they say, whoa, 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 there's a new space. All right. And then they start doing figure eights, bigger and bigger figure eights until they've flown a big circuit and they know exactly where their hive is to the point that when they're really coming in and out and they've been there a couple days, if you take this and move it here, the bees will all come back here and do circles. And say, where, where did my hive go? Where did my hive go? Even though it's only a foot away. And then after a minute, they'll be like, oh, there it is. I must have missed it. What am I thinking? It is insanely good uh, navigational skills. So what you do after a day or two, you let them fly in and out. You do, you take this down, you pop this open, you take five frames out, you take these five frames, you put them in, um, and then you take this and put it somewhere locked away where they can't, because they'll smell it. Um, make sure it's emptied out. You can be somewhat, not, not rough, but like there'll be a couple bees left in there, you turn it upside down when it's open, you just bang it and knock it, and they'll just drop. It's totally fine. Freaked me out the first time I saw someone like banging a thing full of bees because as non-beekeepers you don't go up and like bang things that have bees in them, but it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, good, good to learn wearing a veil. Also, good. Uh, this is a good point to mention. If you're interested in getting bees but you're not sure, uh, get in contact with Mad Bees, um, Madison Area Beekeeping Association. 
or Dayton, it's Dayton County Beekeeping Association, but they call themselves Mad Bees, and say, hey, uh, I'm interested in bees, but I don't know if I want to start. Is someone out there interested in uh, in a hand this year? I'll come out a couple times. You can show, you know, I can work with you. They'll say yes because. It's sweaty, it's hot, it's heavy, uh, but it's really neat to see inside. So um, people will take you up on your offer of help if you want to check it out. Uh, you know, no obligation sort of thing. Uh, and if you do get bees, you can also write them and ask, hey, will somebody mentor me? And chances are somebody in your neighborhood has bees and probably would be happy to help you. Uh, it's just nice to have. Misery loves company. Uh, um, also beware, just a general note, there's a joke if you ask three beekeepers a question, you're going to get six answers. So uh, what I'm saying, what every other beekeeper will say, somewhat is opinion, somewhat is based on knowledge, somewhat is based on experience, but you're going to get different answers for everything, so just be aware there is not one right answer for anything. Um, because it's a, it's a multivariate problem, right? It's a, there's a lot going on that we don't fully understand, and even the stuff we do understand, there's a lot going on. So it's hard to know exactly what to do every time. So it's a learning process for everybody. Um, I want to mention mites really briefly. Mites came into the U.S. Uh, about 20 years ago, and they spread. They're basically a, a parasitic tick. And they uh, go into the larva uh, as they're about to be capped. And the, uh, they parasitize, they eat, drink the bee blood, basically, and reproduce. Uh, and they can weaken bees and transmit uh, diseases. So they, uh, they're not great. Uh, and they will kill hives. If left untreated, there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, there's some chemical ways. There's some behavioral ways. I don't Seminars, conferences are spent discussing the best way to deal with them, so I'm not going to get into it. Um, I will say that my organization, Logic Institute, is doing a research study where we're breeding bees that are tolerant of mites without treatment. Um, so you can check that out on our website if that's something that interests you. But make sure you do something about mites. Don't just wait. Have a plan. If you're going to treat, that's fine. Learn how to do it properly and do it. Um, learn how to do a mite count. A mite count is where you take a third of a cup of bees, you put it into a mason jar, you put uh, two tablespoons of powdered sugar in there, put a screen over the lid, screw it down, give it a nice tumble, gentle tumble. It's delousing. It's literally just like... When you go to jail, none of you have been to jail. Nice looking crowd. Uh, I, I hear when you go to jail, you get deloused. And so you're just delousing the bees. You take the top off, you dump it onto a, into a little bowl. The bees fly out and all the dead, all the mites that fell off fall into the bowl, a little water, and then you can see them. Uh, and then you count, and then you can know how many mites you have. It's a systematic way. Anyway, monitor for mites and treat when you need to. So, and honey. Everyone thinks the main thing, 10 minutes, okay, great. Uh, the, the main thing is honey. Some people don't get honey their first year. Um, that's totally normal because when you build it up from here, you want them to build up into a real strong colony to go through their first winter. Totally normal. There are different ways of um, manipulating your hive such that you would get more honey and more bees. Um, I recommend something called on-the-spot queen rearing. On-the-spot queen rearing. Um, OTS. Um, by Mel Disselcon. If you put it into the Google machine on the spot, queen rearing beekeeping, you'll come up with plenty of, of resources for that. Um, it's a way of artificially swarming your hive, and it, create, it induces them to put down more honey. And my first year, I got like 60 pounds of honey, which is pretty good for a single hive uh, for your first year. Um, I recommend also, just a random note, 
if you can, if you can swing it, get two hives. The reason is um, sometimes one hive will be strong and one will be weak, and maybe you want to give the, the weak hive a couple extra frames of honey. If this queen dies, you can give them fresh brood. Like I said, the queen is raised out of any old uh, egg. So you can put the eggs over here and they'll make a new queen, right? So it's kind of like um, having a, it's a buddy system when you're scuba diving, essentially. Um, so maybe two if you can swing it. Um, if you're a gardener, a couple things to think about, um, since this is the Garden Expo. Uh, keep your neighbors happy. A jar of honey goes a long way. Also, if you offer to kill wasps nests for them, uh, my neighbors love that because you got the veil on, you can walk over, you just knock down the wasp nest and squash it. It's super fun. They're bouncing off your face and you can't, they can't touch you. It's great. It's really satisfying. But the wasps parasitize the bees. So you kill wasp nests, you're helping yourself. And your neighbors, I guess. Uh, but yeah, keep your neighbors happy. Don't put your bees, like, facing your... So if you were my neighbor's house and that was your front door, I wouldn't put my hives here. Because bees have a runway. They come out, room, and they'll just go up. Uh, and if your door's there, they'll go in your door. <laughs> so you'll have a whole hive of bees in your house or bounce off your screen. So what you can do, if, even if you live in town and you have a really tight backyard, you can do a flyway barrier. So about four feet in front of it, shouldn't step, I'll get some nasty reverb. Um, you put a four, like a six foot uh, hedge or just a lattice work or something that they'll fly, they'll hit it and they'll go, whoa, and they'll go straight up and then they'll go out. So a uh, flyway barrier is a really great neighbor saver. Um, also, if you're keeping bees in a location that does not allow bees, you can do a screen all around it, six feet high, nobody can see in there. Who's, who's to say you have bees? I, I, I wouldn't never, but um, okay. Pollination limitations. I said if you if this was my garden and I put my bees here, I wouldn't get pollination for my bees because when they when a forager comes back and says I found a nectar source, they work in increments of ten yards, and so they'll say there's a nectar source ten yards that way. Well, ten yards that way is you know almost to the pizza, so they can't say right in front of our hives there's oh amazing cucumbers right here everybody let's go get our cucumbers. No, they'll at least have to go that far. So, um, if you want to pollinate your own garden, you should put your hive 10 or more yards away from your target uh, crop. Um, and you should also double check that what you want is actually pollinated by bees. Sometimes bumblebees are better pollinators. If you're just worried about pollination, you might want to do something like uh, a bumblebee house to encourage more bumblebees in your backyard. A little easier if, that, if, if the main thing you want is pollination. But uh, a lot of things can be pollinated by bees, so it doesn't hurt. Um, you know, some big uh, greenhouses will have bees inside because, you know, a greenhouse this size of this room, you would you could have a beehive inside it. It'd be great. Um, another consideration for your site, I forgot to mention this: bees need water just like a dog. You know, so um, and you can't just put out a bowl of water because if you've ever had a swimming pool. You found dead bees in it, right? Because the bees, when they come down, they're kind of like lumbering down to get get a drink, and they're like get caught, and they fall in and die. So what you want is a bowl of water with a stick or a rock that's half submerged. Because then the bees that are swimming, they'll catch it, and they'll be able to crawl out, dry off, and fly away. So uh, a little bit of water within six feet of the of the hive is a good thing. Um, they like dirty water for some reason, so don't you don't have to like dump it out and clean it every day. The dirtier, the better, it seems. You'll have like a mud puddle, and you'll have really clean water. They'll go for the mud puddle. Who knows? Um, okay, so we have maybe five minutes left. 
it's a lot. I, it's, a big, it's a big subject, but yeah. Like, yeah. So, uh, you have topics to raise, what's the recommendation? Whatever's comfortable for your back. Remember, if it's 100 pounds and I gotta lift it, if it's down, you can certainly put it down low, but then you have to lift up 100 pounds like that. Also, for snow, if you put it real low to the ground, um, you might get mice in it, and also the snow will pile up and cover it, and then they can't get out in the winter. So some people will even put like a top, you can do a top entrance too, and they'll come in and out the top. So, but yeah, think about your, uh, your height, and yeah, put it where it's comfortable for you to lift up 100 pounds. So table height, real good, about, you know, where you're, um, and also, if you have a little extra space, make it a little bigger than you need so that when you're inspecting it, you know, I take off this other box, I can set it right there. If I make it just enough space to hold this, I take out the box and I don't know where to put it. Yeah. Good question. Other questions? Yeah. How long does the queen live? The longest uh, is like, some people will say up to five years. Most beekeepers will kill their queen and raise a new queen every at a minimum two years because just like um, sh sh her viability dies off after a few years but if you have a strong queen as long as she's laying strong there's no necessary reason to do that I don't think but some people do it every year religiously yeah kill it off automatically another one will usually that's a there's a couple things you have to watch for you have to make sure there's young the, the young eggs and you have to go back and check to make sure they're doing it. But yes, in theory, they should be able to raise a new queen. The other question was, you talked about the cinder block on top of the wind, but it Yeah. The animal issue is not knives over. Bears. Got it. Yeah, bears. So, raccoons haven't, I've, not usually. I've, I've never heard of a raccoon doing it. Not to say you couldn't, but a bear will. If you're up north, a bear will knock it over. So some people will strap them down and put them in a chain link fence to keep bears out. Yeah. So you can get a complete beginner's hive, maybe 300 bucks, 300 bucks. I mean, you can go upwards. They sell all kinds of different ones, but a basic wooden one. Um, even even if you're not a woodworker, you can get an unassembled one, and it comes you know, with these four sides with the interlocking joints, and you put them together with a little wood glue and a couple nails. It's real easy. It's real straightforward. Um, and if you don't have the skill to do that, you probably know someone who does, and that'll save you a couple bucks to paint it yourself. You can paint it whatever fun color you want. That's nice. But if you're a woodworker, you can make them. Um, there's plans online. Uh, you can just Google beehive plans, and there's a lot of really good ones out there. I will tell you, if you're a woodworker and you're thinking of doing it yourself, be real careful of tolerance. There's something called B-space. It's three-eighths of an inch. So these are evenly spaced, or pretty evenly spaced, because if they're too close together, the bees can't pass, and they think it's a gap, and they don't like gaps, so they'll fill it with glue. If it's too wide, they'll say, oh, that gap is too wide, and let's fill it with, uh, <laughs> let's fill it with honeycomb. So three-eighths of an inch is enough for them to get through, but not uh, too much for them to fill it up. So everything in here is three-eighths of an inch. Um, so you got to be pretty careful with your tolerances. Um, also, you know, you make some rabbit cuts, and uh, these fit in real nice when they're clean, but then you get all this gum and crap on them, and so then you have to, like, jam them in there. So, uh, you know, it takes a little experience uh, and trial and error, but there's a lot of good plans out there. And it's, it's an approachable woodworking project. Although the frames, I make my own frames. I don't recommend making frames unless you have time on your hands or really like repetitive work because these are these are four parts, but most frames are six parts. 
and it's six, you're milling, basically. So unless you have real repetitive woodshop skills, it's not worth it. Uh, you can buy them unassembled. They're pretty cheap. So most people just buy them. And they're probably better because they have jigs. You have to build jigs. It's a thing. Yeah. Honey extraction. Another good reason to join a club uh, because extractors can be expensive. And so a club will have one and they'll either rent it or give it out to members to use for a day uh, or they'll have honey extraction parties because you don't have to extract the honey right away. As long as it's capped in those supers, you can take the supers, put them in a plastic bag and wait and then do them all at the same time because it's a big sticky mess. Um, and it's a fun sticky mess, uh, but you want to do them all at once. No, nope. it doesn't have to be refrigerated as long as it's capped. So uh, the nectar that comes in has a pretty high water content, and the fanning bees will blow air over it and um, dehydrate the honey, basically, down to like uh, 19%. Um, and then it's shelf-stable. And they found 4,000-year-old honey in, in pyramids and stuff. So it, it can be shelf-stable. Um, even if it crystallizes, it's still totally good. Don't worry about crystallized honey. Um, that's just a super saturation of sugar. Um, if it's not capped, you can make meat out of it. Uh, I got not capped honey out of a house where I, I was saying how I pulled it out of a house and I had this whole bunch, I had 30 pounds of honey, but it was unripe, it wasn't fully dehydrated, so I just put it in a screen, squeezed it out into a pot and added water and yeast and food grade urea, and it's the best meat I've ever had. He's like, oh, it's amazing, so, uh, yeah. For winter, um, they need, so the, the common, the, the first thought would be I put them in a jacket, right? Keep them warm. Because uh, they do live during the winter. What they do is they form a tight ball and they all shiver their flight muscles without flying. Basically shivering to keep warm. And the interior temperature will be 70, 80, 90 degrees. The outer temperature will be colder, and they roil and circle through this. They go out and eat and come back and shake, and out and eat and back and shake. And that's what they do all winter. The colder it gets, the tighter they get. They stay warm. So they've done studies where they took a hive and they cut the sides, all the sides off. So it was completely exposed all winter in Wisconsin, in Madison. And bees were fine. Um, doesn't mean you don't get a lot of winter losses. And obviously doing that stresses them out more. Um, so some people wrap it in black tar paper loosely and then just staple it at the top so that there can be some airflow. But that black absorbs the heat, keeps some of the moisture off from the outside. Some people do that. Some people, they make, of course, they make wrap you can buy. It's more expensive. Um, some people use that insulated bubble wrap. But the main thing is they need to be able to breathe because they uh, they breathe just like us. So they're putting out moisture into the air. And you know moisture, it touches the cold walls, it condenses, it gets wet. And then you know how a wet cold is so much colder than a, than a dry cold. So um, a lot of considerations. There's a lot of really great uh, introductory textbooks out there. Um, your library would have a couple. Read them, you'll start to catch the main themes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple of days. Just you can, you can, but um, it's more likely that they'll be calmer. Like think about it from their perspective. They were somewhere else, then they were closed up in a box and transported for 24 hours, and then you open up the top, take them out. They're gonna go boof because they've been cooped up in here for days. So what you want is you open it up. They say, oh. You can go out and go, oh, we're somewhere new. They fly around, they feel at home, and then you move their home once they're a little calmer. Because you can move them the first day, it's just easier on them. 
I don't know, luggage is easier on you <laughs> and these. Yeah. All time. Okay. Um, I'm happy to stick around. I'm also at booth 333, um, Blue Technology Institute, where I'm happy to talk to you forever about bees uh, or other stuff. So thanks so much for your attention and uh, being here early. All right. Thanks for listening to this low-tech lecture. Find out more by visiting our website, lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. There you'll find the low-tech podcast, our blog, our event calendar, and other things going on around the Institute. You can subscribe to this lecture or our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and many other podcasting apps. The background music is Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 2 in C minor and is in the public domain. This podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License, meaning you're free to use and share it as long as you provide credit.